Someday, may we all be reunited with our sons. You're listening to Once, episode 282, Murder Most Foul. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And we are happy to bring to you an in-depth discussion on the episode, Murder Most Foul. Let's start with the past. And if you want to share this episode out or comment on this episode, continue the discussion or anything like that, then the show notes will be at oncepodcast.com slash 282 screenshots, links, anything we mentioned over there, oncepodcast.com slash 282. Starting out in the past, we get to see the father come home, and it was in this scene that Rumpelstiltskin said the name Robert. So we did hear that, although for the rest of the episode, I don't think they ever used his <laughs> name. They just referred to him as the shepherd or, or hey you kind of thing. <laughs> but this exchange... We first learned about this in season one, episode six, The Shepherd. Now, back then, what we heard is that this exchange was in order to save the farm. Oh, true. Right. So uh, both DeAndre and Meredith of Everett, Washington pointed this out, that the story has changed a little bit since then. And Meredith said that could have been a writer's mistake, but it could also be that Ruth was trying to spare David the burden of knowing that he was, in some way, responsible. Well, but since both of them would have died if they hadn't done it, it saved both of their lives. It makes it a whole lot less cowardly. Oh, yeah. So I would think she would just tell him the truth. Because I think maybe looking back, they think, wait a minute, what parent would not sacrifice their farm in order to save their kids and keep both of their kids. Well, see, that lent yep. credence to the idea that his father was not very good. Maybe they decided True. that that note had been struck too many times. <laughs> like, literally, everyone's father is that in the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least it feels that way in some way. Like, Killian's father and Rumpel's father, probably others that I'm forgetting. <laughs> so... Maybe you're thinking that, like, originally they were thinking this was a, a lost bet or, or something like that, that it's not really that he had a choice necessarily. This is what he had to do. Well, maybe not that, but literally just he wanted to save the farm. So he made this deal. and But it's still very cowardly and I don't care about my family. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen inside that cottage? Um... It's always been like a prop when they've shown it, like when they showed it in The Shepherd, they're like even the table was set outside. Right. So I felt like we never saw inside of it. I do believe this may be the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Lifestyles of the poor. (laughs) And (laughs) And destitute. (laughs) I did find myself thinking awful lot of hovels in these people's lives. And then I realized, but wait, this is the one that I've always thought we never see inside. Ruth's Cottage. They could turn it into a restaurant now and call it Ruth's. And they serve 
crispy steaks. And it'd be Ruth's crisp steaks. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, on, oh, on dragon seared. <laughs> Rumple is quite the storyteller. Once upon a time, there was a king named George. He had great riches, but no son. And then there was a farmer named Robert, poor as dirt. Yet he had two sons. Can you guess how this story ends? <laughs> so rob from the rich to give to the poor. Not quite. Rob is the poor. Oh, that's oh, <laughs> rob from oh, the rob. Snap. To give to the king. <laughs> it's not robbery. It was a deal. One living son or two dead ones. Yeah, which is not even a choice. Well, yeah, it's it's not a choice, but it is still a hard choice because yes. it means giving up one, which you don't want to do, but you don't want to give up two. Well, and right. they're in a sense, and I'm surprised almost that they didn't ever say the words. He gave them their best chance. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> he thought they were going to both die. This way they both live, just not mm-hmm. both with him. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a selfless aspect in that too. Oh, yeah. So later deciding that it was this mistake and I'm sorry, like I get that feeling, but it wasn't purely a mistake, at least not as they presented it in this episode. Yeah. I almost wish I hadn't remembered the retcon, but <laughs> <laughs> I was relieved that the choice of which boy to give up was removed from the, the situation that Rumpel just said, mm-hmm. I'll take this one so that it wasn't a, which one cried last? <laughs> what was the or coin loudest, flip or longest? that chose it? Has well, one of yeah, them cried more than the other one? <laughs> Take that one. That one's kind of cranky. Watching this, now getting to meet my own son and knowing that I'm a father to a son and getting to hold my son, then mm-hmm. watching an episode like this, my perspective on things like this mm. is radically different. It was just one son, right? Yes. Okay. Only one son. <laughs> um, but I, I feel a lot more about things like this. And when I watch mm-hmm. uh, an episode like this, I feel like I want to get back home to my family. I love them so much. <laughs> Give me a donut too <laughs> for my family. <laughs> It's true, though. It changes. It really, really radically and immediately changes your perspective on all sorts of ridiculous things. I started crying at AT&T commercials after I had my first son. And it was like, <laughs> how, how is this happening? It wasn't even hormones. It was just, oh, and it, her son called after so long. That's so wonderful. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, even, you know, everybody I've talked to said similar things. Mm-hmm. But the father, I think this seems to be what pushed him into becoming a drunkard. Do you think that's the direction that this went? Because we never saw anything hinting that he was a drunkard before. It's just he couldn't do anything to raise money for medicine. He couldn't get the money. Nothing gave me the impression he was a drunkard before this. Well, was was he at all in this? Well, he, yeah, was at the tavern. The next scene in the past wow. here is when he's at the tavern and even the guy, the bartender is saying, you should be spending this on your family. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. And it's been years now. The boy is seven years six, old, I think. Six, this or, is seven. six, yeah. six or seven. And um, so it's it's been a while. I think he feels like a failure in all of mm-hmm. this. And maybe that's why he started drinking. That was the, the perspective that I, I got from that, too. Was that he? He was he was created that way instead of being uh, inherently lazy or yeah. attracted to drunkenness as a lifestyle choice. 
King George is pretty clever in coming here because where else would he find someone who either is desperate enough for money that they'll work really hard to find his son or is perhaps responsible for the kidnapping of his son <laughs> than this tavern. And I loved I loved his, I'm sure you're wondering why I'm here in this dirty tavern. You reminded me of Cora. That's not, it's true. I was thinking that is not the first thing that crossed my mind. There are several other things <laughs> watching you walk in here and talk like that. How does he remind you of Cora? His demeanor. Hmm. How he was, he almost sounded polite, but he was clearly belittling everyone in the room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just have to say it. We always speak her name with creepy reverence. <laughs> creepy reverence. I believe that's the death whisper. Ooh. From this, Robert decided that it's on him to not only find James, but rescue him to bring him home. Uh, suddenly going back on the deal, but uh, changing his mind to just thinking, I guess I want my family back together again. Because after all, that is what Robert said. I swear to you, Ruth, fixing this broken family, this is how I finally fix myself. I think that he's lived a life, uh, the last few years, of regret about this. And that's why he wants to use this as that catalyst for fixing everything. David giving Robert the lucky coin. That's the coin that was used to flip for David to be the one to stay home. So it's understandable that he considers it the lucky coin or the family considers it David's lucky coin. Uh, giving that to his father, I thought was so cute. And <laughs> one of those, oh, stab my heart kind of things. Hey, too soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wait for it, wait for it. Are you saying David is to blame? Not really. <laughs> I feel like I remember Ruth saying when she when they talked about it, well, once it was revealed that David had a twin, that their father never forgave himself. But I don't remember the story about dying in a cart accident until earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that the cart thing we knew about from this season, but. We'd heard that David's father was a drunk in previous seasons. I think in season okay. four, we heard about that when Anna met David, long-haired David. I think that's when we first learned about his father having been a drunk, maybe sometime before then as well. Uh, and I think it just seemed like an unspoken assumption that uh, his father died a drunk somehow mm. and died drinking or died from drinking or something like that. When Robert then goes to visit Rumpel... I was a little confused by the statement, you owe me. I know. There were yep. two or three lines in this episode that I was kind of like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Rumpel mm -hmm. paid Robert. Yeah. He gave him all that gold. So why does Rumpel still owe him something? Is it because now Robert has decided, well, my son was worth a whole lot more than that? Or you owe me in order to keep this secret? Or... I don't know. Maybe there, well, were, maybe there was a scene that was edited out or some kind of dialogue that was edited out that would have made more sense of that. Yeah, because clearly they made a new deal. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I'll give you this. I mean, he did seem to not really require anything, but Robert didn't know that. I felt like there was something missing to a scene or a chunk of a scene because the, the you owe me is followed by, oh, and now you've got a spine. 
which I thought was a strange, uh, a, a strange response from Rumple. But I, I also I kept having trouble with the whole uh, James has run away and now this is my chance to put the family back together again. So I was trying to figure out if maybe there was some part of the original bargain that guaranteed that James would grow up royal and that once he ran away, that was the deal breaker. Well, if he ran away, he doesn't want to be there. So now he can come back to us and we don't we no longer have a bargain. Hmm. True. I think maybe he just thought they would all assume that James was gone forever and he could just keep him. At first, Rumpel was not inclined to help him until Robert said, I think I finally became a father. I'd do anything to see my boy and tell him I'm... I'm sorry. When he said that, you can see Rumpel's demeanor completely change and he's just relating to that because... Mm-hmm. That's what Rumpel wants is to mm-hmm. say he's sorry to his own son because he's at this time looking for Bale of Fire back in the Enchanted Forest and trying to figure out how to get to Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was actually a really lovely piece of acting. That the whole end of that scene from Carlisle was, yeah. I thought, really really nice work on his part. He kept trying to keep up his normal Rumpelstiltskin thing and mm-hmm. tried to convince him that he actually wanted the hair. So he didn't lose his street cred, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a there always got to be a cost, and this is the first time we've seen him willingly ditch it, right? Yeah, he Where, has said before. I forget now exactly what, but there was one time when he said something was on the house. Uh, but oh. I don't remember what magic it was. But this is, yeah, what you're saying, where he made the person think they were paying for it mm-hmm. or making a deal because he has a reputation to uphold, after all. Absolutely. <laughs> and it wasn't the on the house deal, I think, wasn't until after he became Mr. Gold and it was something that happened inside of Storybrooke. And that's when he said something like, it's on the house. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy just gave me the corniest thumbs up. <laughs> Off to Pleasure Island they go. The land built from temptation. I'm surprised they didn't call it like the land of temptation or the the you know we have the land without magic the land without color the land without not temptation <laughs> yeah or <laughs> or the land without inhibitions could maybe be the name of this land but really it's just a giant fair well you look without at the animals yeah in disney's pinocchio they show pleasure island to be this giant circus of an island where you know, everybody's <laughs> drinking, underage drinking, by the way. Ooh, until you said yes. underage, I was like, you sound like you're actually marketing something people would actually go for now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all kinds of things. And, and this Pleasure Island had a demolish house of some sort. <laughs> yes, I thought that was fantastic. Open for demolition. <laughs> yes. And, and instead of like knock the bottle down, they were throwing bottles at statues, just getting to destroy things. And yep. getting all kinds of chocolate and stuff. Even uh, James there was passed out from some kind of chocolate stupor with the chocolate <laughs> in his hand. That's awesome. I didn't even think about why he was unconscious. I don't know why. I think I just thought he was asleep. But 
Well, it is, after all, such a horrible, dark place where children can get melted chocolate poured directly into their bare hands. <laughs> now, some kids are probably thinking, and maybe mothers are thinking, this place sounds amazing. I think Emma would approve. I mean, look what she does with Milk Duds. Well, yeah. Oh, that we have to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. There is more to talk about that. Uh, Jacob Davies, who has played young Pinocchio before, also played the voice of young Pinocchio in this episode. And I realized listening to his voice, he has the perfect kid boy voice for animated anything. Yes, he does. I thought he was a little wooden. Uh, uh, I'm sure that's probably not the first time we've made a wooden <laughs> joke on this podcast. <laughs> probably me. Ugh. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, yes. Oh, Matthew's right. The kids on Pleasure Island in the in the film smoked cigars also. <gasps> yeah, and played pool, which oh, is also a thing right. that only adults are supposed to that's put, because right. P rhymes with T, and that stands that's for trouble. Right. right here in River City. Yeah, it's so true. I th- I thought there were some things that they were doing. In the the color scheme and the way that they were filming the carnival, that made me think of um, one the uh, something wicked this way comes that they did. I think it was with Jonathan Price for television years and years ago, and the the carnival sequences in in that Ray Bradbury story when they filmed it were really really unpleasant. Well, they they grew more unpleasant as it went. Hmm. But one of the other things that I thought was interesting was they they gave this kind of that creepy overtone, like what you're expecting to see, like the the throw the balls at the glass bottles has been turned on its head. And that's funny at first, but the more of it you see and the more kind of wanton destruction that there is available to the kids, the more you kind of go, hmm, okay, well. The other thing that started I started noticing was in the beginning, it seemed like there were smaller children or more small children in the shots. And the longer the dad was there, the older the kids were getting. Hmm. Until there was one girl who who must have been 16 who who walked by. I don't even know if you saw her face. It was just, I, I noticed her costume because there was knitting in it, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then um, it reminded me of the Lotus Eaters part of the Percy Jackson book slash movie. I wasn't thrilled with the movie when it came out, and I don't, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the, the Lotus Eater sequence was so smartly done. They did it in a, a casino, and it's, you know, you, you lose track of time in there. They want you to lose track of time in there, and it looks like Pleasure Island is always nighttime. It's always got the lights on. It's always a carnival. It's always fun. We're having fun, and eventually it gets, it gets exhausting, and kids and plenty of adults don't, don't always see that coming, uh, as quickly as one may wish. I thought it was really, really well done. And you pass out with chocolate in your hand. See? This is what happens. And it's so hard to get chocolate out of your clothes. <laughs> and of all of this uh, debauchery that's going on on Pleasure <laughs> Island, <laughs> James pleasure is passed out from of chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> a, an innocent childhood sort of thing. And mm-hmm. this conversation he has with Robert, James is still innocent at this point because he said the reason mm-hmm. he ran away King George wanted him to be a knight, and James didn't want to kill things. That's completely different from the James we know later on. Who I loved that. Yeah, loves killing things, loves being yeah. a knight, loves the power, loves the debauchery. 
and nothing about chocolate later on in life. <laughs> I would bet that was an Apollo bar if they had such things back in the Enchanted Forest. <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole experience, I was thinking, how formative must this have been? He runs away, he goes to Pleasure Island, but then he meets his father, and then his father, as far as he knew up to that point, who he already didn't like, has his real father killed... Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty rough. Maybe that was the beginning of James's own transformation to the dark side. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Seeing Pinocchio here, his nose started to shrink after he helped Robert because Pinocchio did something selfless, brave, and true. And that's what helped him. I loved that. And it was subtle. It didn't show as much as when his nose grew, but it was there and I thought it was great. DeAndre pointed out something funny, and that is King George is very, very, very old, and yet he made a remark about Robert looking a lot older than he should. I'm sure they probably didn't have the budget to hire an actor to play a younger version of King George, but you have to admit that exchange between he and Robert was rather hilarious. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's kind of rough, but um, (laughs) I mean, there is a certain amount of irony there, but I... I don't know. I don't think it was long enough before that a different actor playing George would have made sense. This might be the oldest history-wise moment that we've seen King George, but I can't remember for sure. Yes, it it would be the longest ago. Because any other time, James and David were adultish. In the last scene of the past... What do you think of the reveal that it was Hook who killed Robert? Garbage. Hmm. I gasped audibly. I'm sure you could hear in Ohio. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> that, that was it. Uh, wow. It's so much coincidence. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So much coincidence. Because they're on land, for one thing. Yeah, what are the odds? Like, like, I can't even break the timeline down now that I think about it. Were they in? Were they on Pleasure Island? No, they'd come back from Pleasure Island. And, so what's Hook um, doing there? One of our uh, fans emailed something saying that with the note that originally it said the coin was found on a dead man and it mentioned Pleasure Island. Well, I w- went back and looked and it, actually there's nothing about Pleasure Island on the note. So we never yeah. knew that he was killed at Pleasure Island and he wasn't. He was killed back in the Enchanted Forest somewhere. And the thing about Hook being there... Uh, Jenny and I were talking about this actually recently. What I think makes sense now, looking back on things, taking into consideration Hook and Peter Pan's back and forth in season three, it seems that when Hook was in Neverland, there was a time when he served Peter Pan in some way. He was able to go back and forth, and maybe in exchange for doing that work, that's when Peter Pan told him, there's this dagger that if you use it, you'll be able to kill my son. I mean, he didn't say he's my son, but you, we look back at the family relationships and you realize that's what it actually was. Right. So we've seen Hook back in the Enchanted Forest numerous times when we thought he was in Neverland all the way up until he came to find Belle and then ran into Korra and was protected from the curse and all of that. Well, apparently he was able to go back and forth for some time from Neverland and maybe only able to escape from Pan's perhaps forced servitude of Hook 
later on and that's when he came back or maybe he fulfilled his deal with pan and pan wanted grumpel dead anyway because of reasons and because of his selfishness <laughs> so seeing hook here in the enchanted forest at this time i no longer have a problem with well okay i'm glad <laughs> um but that road at that moment why it's just i don't know i'm not sure what the point is it's like twist for the sake of twist i don't see that it's necessary it it would be nice to get through one complete episode where hook and emma don't seem to be in peril as far as their relationship goes just just one episode where it starts okay gets better gets happier we have a lovely moment and it ends happy but then that would be a boring episode but would it <laughs> the odds that prior to it would be such a shock <laughs> prior to a time altering curse he mm-hmm. killed his hopefully well to him wife to be grandfather grandfather <laughs> like like he stabs the guy and i'm like and you're going to want to marry his granddaughter. Once upon Good a time, job. rule number one, true love's kiss can break any curse. Once upon a time, rule number two, everybody's connected. Well, that's some connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whopper. At least he brought a sword. I don't know what David was doing with knives, but we'll get to that. So uh-huh. his being here, I think maybe he was trailing the king or heard that the king w- had a bounty out on someone and was maybe after that same bounty or that anything. Would help. There could be plenty of reasons why he was there to rob the cart. And that's all that he really planned to do is we're going to take this money and whoever gets in our way, well, too bad. And that, that's what happened. That would help. Some kind of explanation for why... Hook would even be anywhere near them other than coincidence would be nice. Something. But you know who do tell tales because they are not dead. And it's very good that they are not dead because they tell wonderful tales and they are (laughs) our heroes. For this episode, I would like to thank the heroes that make this episode and each episode of the podcast possible. Specifically for this episode, Lisa Slack, Lisa R, and our 22 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. We could not do this without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to be a hero and you're afraid of being one of those dead people who tell no tales, you can be a hero instead. Go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and let your tale be told. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's oncepodcast.com slash hero. Before we move on to talking about the present day storybook timeline, remember that we have an upcoming bonus episode of One's Podcast. We'll be recording it live on Friday, March 17th, planning to be at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, oncepodcast.com slash live, our Beauty and the Beast review of the new movie. Jeremy and I saw it. We're waiting for Aaron to get to see it a little early, too. And then all three of us will come together on Friday, March 17th for our live review. And then we'll publish that review for you probably on Saturday, March 18th. Don't worry if you don't want to be spoiled. I mean, Everyone probably knows how the story goes anyway, but if you don't want to be spoiled, (laughs) the first portion of that review will be spoiler-free and will tell you 
when we get into the spoilers. So watch for that soon. If you're subscribed to the podcast, then you don't have to worry about any of this because you will get the episode automatically. You don't have to go looking for it, but you can certainly join us for it live on Friday, March 17th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time over at oncepodcast.com slash live. The same page where we do all of our live shows, including tonight when we're recording this right now on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We're live on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time during the airing of the show. We chat live over there and then have the podcast afterward at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time. So join us or watch for that review coming soon at oncepodcast.com. Now on to the present. For once, they didn't celebrate the after battle party at Granny's. Nope. They went straight home. No time to clean up or change your clothes. We're going to just keep on wearing the same thing as in every other episode in recent memory. Emma was wearing something different. Nope. That was the same blouse everyone keeps talking about every single week because it seems so out of character. Oh. I I mean, I've gotten used to it. It's not bad. (laughs) But it cracks me up because it's so, it stands out so much from the rest of her wardrobe that I notice every single time. Like, she's still, it does help with the timeline, though. Because I'm like, okay, not a whole lot of time has passed since at least the last episode of like before the winter break, if not the one before that. But it still cracked me up because then I start to notice, actually, she's not even dirty. She just had a sword fight in the street after coming back from a wish realm where she was sent. And she, by the way, what maybe that's why maybe when she came back. I guess it changed her clothes back when she came through the wardrobe because she was all Princess Emma in the Wish Realm. So so then it came. she came back, but still, she was fighting in the street. You'd think she'd be a little dirty or scuffed up or sweaty or something, but no, no, just perfect Emma, and well, then they're having a party. Well, when you return from the wonderful Witch Realm, <laughs> there's no west for the wicked <laughs> or for the heroes. Speaking of west and wicked, we'll get to... Selena later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we do get to see the ghost of Robert. <laughs> oh, yay. Which, yeah, that's been on my bucket list for a while. One <laughs> started these visions. That's, I think, a question. I know we received that question from some of our listeners. I'm wondering that we saw the sky and something with the moon going on. Maybe it was something like, was this a full moon? And that's the opportunity. Was Venus in retrograde? Or... I like the suggestion that Emily Grace Lay made is that maybe Robert is in the underworld. He's been there and he has been using the telephone booth. And that's how he's reaching out to David. Oh. Or maybe it's because Venus is in retrograde right now. That's the only thing that sort of makes sense-ish. Wow. David was a little bit of a sleep-deprived jerk. Thank you. Yes. Well, he's not sleep deprived. Is he not? No. Says him. Well, not well at this party was. When well, at this part maybe. Remember he'd been keeping Snow asleep while he fixed his little wish mistake? Yes, but in this episode he switched places with Snow twice he in did. this episode. Well, so maybe at this point yes, he's short on sleep, but all of the other points throughout the uh, the rest of the episode. I know. He's gotten rest. I guess I was being kind. He was just kind of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt I'd ask a pirate. And yet, 
Cranky David may be my favorite David. <laughs> At least you go, <gasps> he said that. Not really, but since we're labeling versions of people now, Cranky David is a thing. I think that is um, kinder than what I was thinking, <laughs> but also accurate. I And I kept thinking, It's at first I said, God, he's so something-ist. He's not racist. He's pirateist or he's careerist. It's like if you go and say, oh, I'm going to be a pirate, he's all, mm-mm, no way. Can't he be a good thing for anyone. Doesn't he's actually believe Killian has changed. At all. Contri- you know, with how many different times has Killian helped Emma, been a good guy, been kind, generous, helpful, Selfless, brave, and true. Well, let's not go overboard. Yeah. Uh, He's also hooked. really no. cute, so, you know... <laughs> He gets I'm just saying. Points, apparently, <laughs> he gets a pass, right? Because because eyes, even from the frickin' underworld, right? Well, from the sideways right. underworld is Robin, <laughs> or otherwise known as from the Wish Realm, <laughs> the upside down screaming demon box. I love that. That's oh a new gosh. name for our alarm clocks. <laughs> I, I love that. It's true. I loathe alarm. That particular kind of alarm clock. Oh yeah. I've had for years. It's just, it is. It's evil. All of them. Well, I now wear an alarm <laughs> clock that shocks me with electricity if I don't wake up in the morning. Seriously, no joke there. That is so how you can I wake be up. All quiet for the baby yeah. and Jenny. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. Good daddy. Of course, the alarm clock says 8.15. But of course it does. Yes. I, that's pretty much <laughs> any time something's going to happen with a clock, it has to be at 8.15 in the morning or 8.15 at night. Most of the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Snow uh, came to visit. This is during one of the times. Apparently, like, what happened is David went home, switched with Snow. He got some rest. Snow comes to visit Regina. Yes, this marks the first time he's let Snow wake up yeah. since his little wish mistake. Maybe that was only one really long day and night. I don't know. But I, I point that out for a reason. We'll get back to that. Mm. Snow does make a very good point. You don't know who he is. Looking like Robin Hood doesn't make him the same person. Also, Snow and Regina Mm. now have tea. Just pointing that out. Oh, yeah. It's a little coffee talk. Snow White and the Evil Queen. Now they have tea and they they give each other advice. It's true. (laughs) They had to have a little kibitz. (laughs) I'm very glad that they're not going this route of we need to awaken the Robin in him. But it's oh, that, Regina still is. Well, yeah, in this episode until the end of the episode. Uh, but true. they are, I think, planting this idea and maybe trying to reinforce the idea to us as viewers that, no, this is not the same Robin. And I hope they stick with that idea and don't awaken the real Robin within. But doesn't it feel like a writer's tug of war? One episode, they're like, oh, maybe he, that's why he's different. That's why he didn't age. Let's bring him back. And, and oh. Maybe I should get to know the woman one version of me was worth thought was worth dying for. And now they're like, oh, he is not the same guy. <laughs> pick, pick a side. Are you undoing a mistake? What's happening? You knew you were bringing him back in some form. And getting ahead a little bit, they veered hard at the end of the episode. I'm not mm-hmm. super happy about it, but I'll say we, more. We have some theories about that, so okay. we, we'll certainly get into that later on. Snow said something, I think, very fitting and reminding us of something here. She said to Regina, you deserve this. 
Remember, that was David's wish before, is that the evil queen would get what she deserves. Mm -hmm. And as we've received feedback before from uh, Gareth and a couple others, pointing out that maybe that applied to Regina as well, because Regina and evil queen were linked. So if evil queen gets what she deserves, Regina gets what she deserves. So is this actually what Regina deserves to have a picture of Robin (laughs) <laughs> basically return to her life but it not actually be robin yeah and based on that theory i have i have a greater theory we'll just hope things become clear in like one episode because it's becoming one of those things that i always go oh man this is going to be really tiresome and then they wrap it up quickly your greater theory being what robin is actually doing what robin is actually doing is he's got a box and they're gonna make us wait <laughs> to find out that no, he's not the same Robin, but it it kind of it kind of is Robin, and it's what what she deserves. Well, we'll dig more into that yeah, theory yeah, yeah. of of who he is and what he wants with the box. What's in the box? <laughs> we'll we'll discuss that later on. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hook decides to take a trip to Archie's. This is, I think, the. The combination that you'd never expect to see. Yes. Someone oh my gosh, like yes. Hook going to get counseling. Yeah. But it was so cool and so fitting too, I think. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's yeah. in this place of struggle. And I appreciated that uh, of several things here. Hook showed the ring to Archie and Archie said buying a ring for Emma shows progress that hook is making and i also agree you know one of the soapboxes that i've gotten on a few times before is how there's this non-committed relationship between emma and hook and that it's implied they're living together although we've never actually seen them uh, i'll just say it outright we've never actually seen anything that has indicated they've had premarital sex they've started never completed though so i i'm not a fan of that kind of thing. I'm a big fan of people waiting, committing. If you like it, put a ring on it. And that's what (laughs) Hook is doing. So thank you, Hook, for being honorable enough to put a ring on that. And I think it's also cool that they're making, I mean, he's really showing how much he's changed. And the other thing is that he's being honorable in seeking David's blessing Mm -hmm. in order to ask Emma to marry him. That's really cool. So I yeah. like the transformation and this whole episode is kind of demonstrating that this is really Hook. He is truly transformed. I like it when they step back and they look at the picture objectively too. And he's like, he even said, Captain Hook buying a ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you yep. think Emma could get a ring that just goes on his hook? Ooh, that could mm. be true. It's, it's That's left a hand or his story. right hand? It's, his left. Yeah. Yeah, his his ah, he needs a hook ring. It does. I also thought it was really cool that n- not only that it, it wasn't it wasn't any big thing that he went to see Archie, but also that Archie didn't make it a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, never thought I'd have a pirate in my mm-hmm. office. You know, that Archie really, <laughs> really is coming across as a, a level-headed therapist. And Yeah, guys, that's what level-headed like- looks like, not David. <laughs> <laughs> Crickets, sure. Prince of no, Pulsive, maybe. <clears throat> but I did I did like the ring and I liked the the reveal of it too. I thought it was sweet. 
back at the loft when David is uh, well, just waking up apparently because he had the message there from Snow on the phone. He sees the vision again of Robert, maybe using the telephone box again from the underworld. And Robert wants truth? That's why he's haunting his son? Is Robert wants truth? Well, he wants, you know, when you've got, when you're dead and you've got blood on your hands, probably your own, you just kind of want, you can only say a few words. Even though he spoke in more complete sentences about family, he could have said, I want you to know the truth. Mm-hmm. He also could have told him the truth, but he didn't. He got really cryptic because I guess it would have spoiled everything if he'd said King George was going to have me killed, but some pirate beat him to it. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler, Dad. Spoiler. Why'd you gotta spoil the story? He had like that? a hook for a hand. Yeah, that's a that's a unique description of a person. <laughs> Not many people would fit that description. And a plunging neckline, as all villains do. <laughs> No, you can't have that much coherence from a ghost. So David recruits Hook in order to try and figure out the whole story here. Because, you know, you're just a pirate. You can do the dirty work. On David's clue board that he had, uh, there was this was all a map of the Enchanted Forest. So it was pointing out different things, uh, different events, trying to trace Robert's life and death. At first viewing, I thought this was a map of Storybrooke and that David was trying to figure out if there was some connection between all of the places where Robert had appeared as a ghost to him. But no, it's actually uh, fairy tale land stuff. There's, there are a lot of things on the board. Most of the things are seemingly irrelevant names, locations, or position details. Is that to make him look sheriffy? Yeah. And yeah. a little bit crazy and obsessed. But there were, a, <laughs> there was something that was funny. There was a note pointing to something that said, the Tuffet. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You never know what's in the Tuffet. Belonging to one Miss Muffet? Evidently. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just wait. Wait for the Spider-Man. So this was a new day. David's Mm -hmm. had sleep. We know he's had sleep because we saw Snow talking to Regina. Yeah. So yesterday... He made an ill-advised wish and caused the thing that they've all been dreading and then refused to wake up Snow because he didn't want to wake her up until it was fixed. Today, he's hiding from Snow that he's actually still chasing his father's murderer, which he told her he was not going to, although he has a little bit of a good reason because of the whole apparition thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But he won't tell her, and he won't tell Emma. So, two major things he's hiding and dealing very poorly with in two days. Not not a fan. He's not batting well. No. Well, this is a guy that has a history of keeping secrets from the people who need to know yes, the truth. Yes, he does. Snow and Charming both kind of have that history, but more so Charming, actually. More so Charming, and I want to see him go visit Archie. Right. <laughs> or yes. just talk to Snow more. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Communication. It's all about the communication. 
back at Regina's, she's showing Robin the storybook. And uh, when Zelina comes, I think her concern is totally justified. Because after all, baby Robin is mm-hmm. not the daughter of this wish Robin. No, but when has she ever, if she thought he was actually Robin, when has she ever known them to plot to steal her stinking baby? Mm-hmm. Sorry, baby. The baby's not stinking. Well, not in that way. Maybe <laughs> diapers. That you know. <laughs> but it just, and I need a flow chart or at least a current status indicator to let me know how we feel about Zelina this week. Because I, she appeared and they were all, and I was like, okay, I thought everything was pretty chill with them. I don't know. I don't remember. I'm starting to lose track of the Zelina story. Like, is she, is she only upset with Regina? Are they the only enemies? Is she cool with everybody else in town? Does she even know what happened to the evil queen? Whose side was she on? I'm starting to really lose track and I kind of would like to see that knocked off. Well, and this was the only very, very brief scene with Zelina in this whole episode and in this new half of the season, right? We haven't seen her in the Mm -hmm. other uh, episode. It was a, a token tantrum from Zelina. (laughs) <laughs> well, her token token tantrums are always fun because the, uh, Rebecca Mater is so expressive. Well, she, so yeah, she's, I mean, she's great, whatever she's doing. I just wish it would make a little more sense for her. I suppose the last time we saw her was probably when Evil Queen tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. That was also very strange and, and abrupt. And then Regina saved her and then Regina said, no, we're not friends or whatever. <laughs> So I guess they are still enemy-ish. And I guess Selena has a history of being overprotective, or at least irrational in her assumptions about what needs to be protected from. Of course, the story in the storybook, when we got to see the photo of Robin and Sheriff of Nottingham, of course, that story on the opposite page was The Golden Bird. The story that's almost on every single page of the storybook. (laughs) <laughs> I really wish they'd just put some other story there. Well, no, they've got to foreshadow it. The golden bird is the final battle. It's the golden bird, uh, snow white and rose uh, red uh, something, um, <laughs> rose red. And uh, there are only three or so stories that they use. But the golden bird is the one that they use most of the time as filler for the page. It's like their lorem ipsum for the page. Lorem <laughs> <laughs> fairy tale lore of it, so. <laughs> Heather, what'd you think of how Robin is differentiating himself? It took me a long time of going back and looking at scenes with Wish Robin in it because he is doing something to his face so that he he doesn't look completely right. And it's not anything prosthetic. I actually think he's holding his eyebrow up ironically or otherwise he's just almost the entire time more suspicious and or less doe-eyed yeah a lot less doe-eyed more byronic so this non-doe-eyed man decides that the (laughs) ideal thing for him to do is go after the sheriff of nottingham who is here in storybrook now i don't know if we've ever heard his name but imdb has the sheriff of nottingham listed as keith in storybook <laughs> which kind of strikes me as just sad somehow i don't know why it just made me sad 
the gossip at Granny's. And then he shot Keith's coffee right out of his hand. <laughs> it had it coming. <laughs> that coffee looks suspicious to me, too. At least Regina was there to save the sheriff of Nottingham. And basically, she had her own moment with Robin where she could say, Oh, you're throwing a tantrum. Let the man go. <laughs> and also... You just have to stop running away and trying to kill people. <laughs> people you have to say that to are not great dating material. Just saying. Yeah. Make sure you look out for that on their uh, eHarmony profile. <laughs> but she's so convinced she's telling him, oh, you will regret it. Because she's just convinced that he's mm-hmm. just going to morph into her Robin. And that he is in some way her Robin. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that there's just this... This Robin on the inside kind of waiting to get out and be awoken. Makes him more like a Robin egg. Huh. (laughs) I got the courtesy laughs. That's all you can hope for sometimes. When David and Hook go to steal the magic, I like how Hook is continuing to try to stand his ground against what David is proposing here. Yes, Hook does give in, but he's still protesting in it. He's not resorting to his old piratey ways, but he's he's just really saying, look, this is not me anymore. I'm a good pirate, not this, a bad one. This put, I, I was veering into the severe dislike of David. Yes. This. Like, oh, come on. It's just yes. me here. You Like, as in, you can drop the act. Well, then why are you okay with his relationship with Emma if that's what you think? Mm. Thank you. My I was really having trouble with it, too. Why did you go to the underworld? I guess you were just protecting Emma, but gosh, that mm-hmm. was crazy. Mm-hmm. What's a guy got to do? And, you know, there's there are the two approaches. Like, you can be like, okay, this character's a jerk. Or you can be like, that's out of character. Who let this in? I don't understand why somebody didn't stand up and say, no, this is probably not a good thing for this character to be saying or doing. Yeah. But hey. If only they'd listen to you. Hashtag hire all the nerds. <laughs> I thought it was very clever of Hook to give Emma honest bait. And that bait being this a true story and one that would get her emotionally involved. True-ish. Which, yeah, which then hindered her superpower. Did you notice he also lied about why he went to see Archie? It wasn't 100% a lie, though. Yeah. No, it wasn't, but it was largely... It- but I, I thought that was a really, really interesting point of yours, Daniel, that that Hook Hook walked a really important and cautious line in in his his semi lie to to Emma. Mm-hmm. I thought that said a lot about him and and also a lot about him because he really clearly doesn't want to lie. Yeah. Instead of it being, ooh, I need to come up with something clever so that David doesn't get found out. It he played it a lot more from from what I picked up. I mean, what I what I thought I was seeing. It seemed like it had a lot more to do with him not wanting to lie to her than anything else. And I I liked that. Yeah. I thought that was great. What a crazy situation to be in, though. Right? Like, and, and it, it, I, I started thinking, what if their roles were reversed? Emma mm. does stuff her family is pleading with her to not do all the time. All the time. Why can't mm-hmm. he just... Tell them what he's doing, and if they object, he says he doesn't want to worry them. Well, okay, whatever. You, they, they worry you all the time, and you wouldn't want them to hide what they're doing from you. Yeah. Would he have wanted Emma to sneak off to the underworld? 
by herself. Maybe these things end up better if you let people worry and help. That's a wacky thought. (laughs) (laughs) But at least his sharing of his emotions in this way got a great kiss from Emma. And it's one of those kinds of kisses that led her to question, why am I here? And you know what? I've had those kinds of kisses with Jenny before, too. It's been like, what was I doing? What was I saying? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah. You broke some kind of curse in me that I don't care whatever I was doing. (laughs) Sounds like a song in the making. Does does Jenny know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, she knows. Oh, good. (laughs) They haven't broken the the forgetting curse yet. (laughs) Now, the reason they're here is because Emma has this magic that Regina gave them so that they're trying to figure out how to break the sleeping curse. That's why all of this magical stuff is there. Uh, So they are working on breaking the sleeping curse still and recruiting Emma for that. And Meredith of Everett, Washington pointed this out. She said, why hasn't either Emma or Henry tried to break the sleeping curse on the Charmings? Maybe if they kissed them at the same time, it would work. But you know what I think I'd like better? If Regina broke it on Snow. I think she's finally grown to love her by now. Since the evil queen did it, that is cast Mm. the sleeping curse, it would seem fitting if Regina broke it. And we now know that true love's kiss does not mean romantic. And, you know, the heart of the thing you love most does not Mm -hmm. mean actually love. It can mean friendship. And, you know, they've done all of these kinds of expansions on certain things. And also, uh, there is a recent fairy tale movie. I'm not going to give away the name, so I'm not giving away a major plot. But in the movie, uh, the person who cast the spell is actually the one whose true love kiss breaks the spell. And it's not a romantic kiss. It's a deep friendship, or not friendship, it's a family kind of love. And I think that's the love that Regina and Snow have. You look at the nature of their conversations. The mm-hmm. the openness and transparency with each other, yeah. the support of each other, the mm-hmm. accountability in some ways, the challenging, their relationship has totally matured into this beautiful friendship. So, <laughs> yeah, this idea that it could be Regina, Regina's love to somehow break the curse could be really cool. And why haven't they even thought about that before? I mean, not like... Uh, the love aspect, but I don't remember them ever mentioning Regina being possibly the one to be able to break the curse because it was the evil queen, her alter ego self that enacted the curse. Hmm. So it would be great if that's where they were heading ultimately with, with the sleeping curse. Yeah. I would be a very, very happy camper. Yeah. Mouseketeer. So great theory, Meredith of Everett Washington. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Regina, she's taking Wish Robin down to the vault. And Why? Regina and Robin sitting in a vault. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> K-I-S-S-I-N-G. They actually did it. Wait, was it in the vault? Yes, yes, it was. And you know that's what Regina wanted. Yeah. Because she magicked his hand healed. Yeah. She could have done that in the street. I thought she was going to. And then she's like, come on, I know where we can treat this hand. <laughs> But she did take him down there for other reasons to try and talk to him. And uh, now knowing the end of this episode, Mm. watching this scene, Mm -hmm. when Regina 
moves that one box and she says there's something dark and dangerous in here and she moves it out of the way, you can kind of see a slight power lust in Robin's eyes and his face. Or just disgustion. I wouldn't call it disgust. I think that no. he sees it and realizes, ooh, I might yep, be able to do something. It's that eyebrow thing. That. Yeah. I totally did not did not trust him at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I I was very worried for all of us right then. Huh. See, the first time I watched this, I didn't catch it. So I felt oh. like he was trustworthy, and the kiss seemed interesting. Uh, clearly, not true love's kiss because Robin doesn't truly love Regina. And now we know that for sure. But um, I was also glad that that didn't break any kind of spell right there. Well, it does make sense. He seemed to run a little hot and cold because first he's like, did you bring me here just to put me in the middle of this mess? And then he's like, come here. Kissy, kissy. (laughs) I want to make you forget why you're here. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't doesn't seem to me to be the kind of uh, honorable, uh, honor, honor among thieves kind of thief. Right. The hearts of my enemies line was my favorite thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) What's in here? She doesn't just say, "Uh, some hearts. It's like, well, the hearts of my enemies, but I've changed. (laughs) I like how Meredith uh, put this. She said, how can Regina truly call herself redeemed until she gives back all the hearts? I'm not suggesting that she's getting them out and forcing victims to do anything, but she shouldn't still have them at all. Maybe I think, they're dead. <laughs> I think I know yeah. why she hasn't returned them, though. Almost all of these people don't remember that she has taken them. She probably extracted each heart and told them to forget, just like she did to Belle. If she were to return them, she'd have to admit having them and confess to making them do and say horrible things. That, they think, are their own doing. I suppose she could use her skeleton keys and go into people's homes in the evening and return them anonymously. But still... Hey, thanks for reminding us about the skeleton keys. I'd forgotten about that for several seasons. Yeah. Storybrooke was a much creepier place year one. Oh, yeah. So was she. Yeah. And speaking of creepy, well, not really creepy, but fun, (laughs) the hokey pokey potion. (laughs) That was hilarious. I loved that. (laughs) Can't be too sure. Yeah, their, their little relationship with each other, bromance is a term that someone else uh, used in some feedback I'll leave uh, or read a little bit later on. But their relationship is just really fun. When he's not accusing him of being a dirty pirate. Yeah. Exactly. And and it was here that Hook said Pleasure Island had dealings with Neverland, but even though Hook had never been there himself. So that makes me think that the reason he knows that is because he was serving Peter Pan in some way Hmm. and doing those errands. And that's how he got to the Enchanted Forest multiple times in the past. It's like saying Storybrooke has had dealings with the Enchanted Forest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Neverland in the Underworld. Well, see, I think untold stories. dealings with Neverland is more like Wonderland. some kind of business relationship between Pleasure Island and Neverland. Or, hey, actually realize Lost this. Lost Boys Vacation. Yes. <laughs> it was a leveraged buyout. Or it's something like uh, the kids who wanted to escape from Pleasure Island, Pan got in some kind of deal with Pleasure Island, and then Pan got them brought to neverland there's no Mm. chocolate here so since hook hasn't had dealings with pleasure island himself who else has who's the expert on pleasure island august formerly pinocchio so if they want to know more about pleasure island who else to ask than the expert 
August, who must have spent years at Pleasure Island. Maybe. Years? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know about that. Long enough to know better. I don't think they'd take kindly to a wooden boy for very long. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> He's a little dangerous around the cigars. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that here we are in the sixth season and we're getting more insight into something that happened in the first season. And that is when August took Henry's storybook and started what we thought back then was adding things to it. Now this makes a lot more sense that what he was actually doing was pulling out his embarrassing parts of his story, the things he was ashamed of, rewriting it and sticking it back in so it made him look better. I like that extra insight. It now makes a lot more sense on what happened. Is this retcon? Maybe. It probably is. I'm happy with this retcon. Oh, okay. I like it this way. I think it makes more sense than assuming all August was doing was adding his story. He was probably taking out the thing about uh, running away or having gone through the wardrobe or the adding Pleasure Island story stuff. story made it weird anyway back in the day, I guess. Yeah. I guess now that you bring it up, I do remember that. Yes. Well, now that's, it's interesting that you say that because I went back, I went back to watch the end of last week's episode after watching this one a couple times. And do you remember what August was typing when Emma came in and did the Tommy gun line? Basically filler word, filler word, filler word, pleasure island, filler, filler, filler. Yeah, it was something, it was something yeah. about being, being there and going to, and, and that now, if he was rewriting that section, because the, the storybook itself isn't typewritten, is it? It's handwritten. It's magic written. It's magic written. But it is hmm. a typewritten font, actually. Hmm. Because Hook's story. August didn't seem at all weird about handing over these pages to Hook for, theoretically, for David to fill in blanks. But Hook knows what the story is supposed to say. Well, I think looking at the story here, the story that August gave him later, the pages, are of August's story, not of Robert's story. Right. And not of Hook's right, story. Right. So it only contains the part where August interacted with Robert, with which happened Robert. to be the Pleasure Island section of August's story. And that's the section that August wanted to take out. He kept those pages. He found them again. He then turned them in to hook um so i don't think august knew that hook was the one who killed robert robert because august might not have even known that right. um what uh robert what his fate was right. because as far as august knew here was this guy who came to pleasure island looking for his son he stood up against the king to try and protect his son he showed love he showed heroism and yet something bad seemed to happen or the last August saw of him, it looked like maybe he was going to go back with his boy and save his boy. Yeah. So it's just the fact of the missing pages of that tangential part of the story that triggers Hook's memory of what really happened, which is what we see at the, the end. Right. Hook recognized Robert. Ah. Uh, August had no idea that Hook was part of the story. Hook Got realized it. when he saw the photo that, oh, I was part of this story. That's somebody I recognize. Right. Did he have a ring right. for him? <laughs> oh. Remember he wears rings because of people he killed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably. 
Oh. Or a coin or a necklace. Retcon jewelry. Or piercing. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That escalated quickly. (laughs) And speaking of escalating quickly, David fighting with Spencer, or formerly King George, uh, a knife fight. Now, that aside, like the insanity of that and how quickly (laughs) things escalated aside, I thought this was a really well done fight scene. Thank you. They did a great job. Yeah. They really mm-hmm. sold it. They were flinging themselves all over the place. That was great. David does cool fight scenes, I think. Yeah. I probably <laughs> missed true. part of it both times wondering why on earth they were using knives at all and why David felt it necessary in his blind rage to go ahead and arm his opponent. Fair fight, man. I mean, yeah, but... Prince Charming can't can't fight dirty. I guess. He could have just yelled, hey, and... <laughs> And thrown a sword. Yeah. Him. <laughs> there wasn't enough space to throw a sword in that little dark <laughs> hole. <Throwing> a knife. <laughs> he brought a knife to a knife fight, though. That yeah, was good. That's good. All of the scenes with the king in this particular episode really irked me a lot. But being king wasn't enough for them. For him, he had to go and insult the peasant who furnished him with his son and eventual heir. I mean, that was that was really a low blow. And I kept thinking, okay, is it is he just being a professional jerk? Or does he <laughs> want to get killed? Is he just sick of being in the cell? And he would rather have David kill him at this point? Well, <laughs> all that I know of Alan Dale, who plays King George, is that Who's he's awesome. very good at playing a wealthy, ruling, arrogant jerk. Yes. <laughs> true. You have to doesn't watch he, Lost to see more. Doesn't of that. he? That is so true. Doesn't he also do the Harry Potter audiobooks? All of them? Oh, does he? I think he does. Ooh, cool. I think it's him. I'm As told by a wealthy ruling jerk. Random thing. <laughs> Just last night, I requested the digital audiobook of the first Harry Potter books because I've never watched. I mean, I have watched the movies, but I've never read the books. I also haven't read oh. the ride or anything like that. So I requested oh. it, and I think I'm like number 234 <laughs> for the audiobook. Overdrive.com, <laughs> by the way, here's your tip, your life-changing tip. That's right. Check out overdrive.com and sign up for it through your library. You can get access to free audiobooks. Like, real ones. Yeah, real ones. I just finished the um the Maze Runner whole series of books. There How are was it? like six or five or six books. Really good. I liked it. But uh oh, so if if Alan Dale is the narrator for the Harry Potter books, then I will be in for a treat because I like his voice. He has a cool yeah. voice, a very distinct and dignified voice when he's not trying to use his wealth and power to manipulate everyone around him (laughs) 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 which is pretty much all i've seen of him (laughs) until i hear his voice reading an audiobook (laughs) his badness quotient is very high (laughs) (laughs) when hook comes to save the day and protect king george uh, david just dumps his heart out here and i thought this this is an example of the great Jane Espenson writing that is mm-hmm. filled uh, in the series. We've got great Jane Espenson writing, and I think this was the pinnacle of it for this episode. I thought he didn't fight for us, but he did. He fought with everything he had. He did the right thing. And it wasn't enough. So what if, what if Gideon comes back stronger and kills Emma? What if I can't be with Snow ever again? What if being Prince Charming isn't enough? 
and I start losing and it keeps going and I lose everything that matters to me. Also, big props to Josh Dallas. Excellent job right? acting that yeah. scene uh, as David there. Yes. Kind of, He's been waiting for that one. That whole combination of everything, like you said, the writing and the acting, just kind of whatever else happened the whole rest of the episode leading up to it, it was like, okay, that kind of redeems the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And and not just the, the episode, but really his character arc has been a fairly shallow one for a, yeah. a pretty long time. And it's it's just... It's nice to be reminded that there was a reason why they cast him and that that's that's a hard it first off it's hard enough to pull off a nice guy for a really long time without having anything particularly interesting or contradictory or quarrelsome to do that makes a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. but then to be able to turn on a dime and pull that off I I was very 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 happy for him just as a as an actor that he got to do that and then that he knocked it out of the park was just great mm-hmm. by the way i'm not going to get to knock it out of the park listening to alan dale's voice narrating the harry potter oh. books because it's not actually alan dale our chat room corrected oh. us and said it's Darn jim it. dale who does the jim harry potter dale. audiobooks oh poo so, sorry about that so sorry if, about getting you all excited about that if you just now submitted a comment on our site or on the youtube video or anything like that saying <laughs> guys it's jim dale not alan it's dale jim you dale. can delete that comment now yeah <laughs> You're yeah, too late. the flood. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I read them. I didn't listen. Meredith points something out interesting. She said, about the charming court of justice, I'm getting a little <laughs> sick of the selective justice system. Hook, Rumpel, and Regina have all tried to destroy the town, and yet they walk around free. Will Scarlet broke into a library drunk and got to spend at least a few days in jail. King George did commit murder and framed Ruby, so yes, he deserves jail. He also burned another guy's hat. But (laughs) not more than all these magical villains. If you have magic, Mm. apparently you can keep your pawn shop or even your heart collection. It's time for Emma and David to come up with a way to hold magical villains without the use of the cuff. Oh, thank you, Meredith. I was going to cough the word cuff. (laughs) (laughs) They just need more of those. Yeah, That's well put. They're easy to come by, apparently. There's a shop. Around the corner. But yeah, Gideon appears all grown up and tries to kill Emma. She goes canoeing. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, true. Well, maybe because she thinks Gideon has been defeated. Her fate has been changed, and so she doesn't have to worry about Gideon anymore. Maybe that's her thinking. And Uh... now we should, well, we're not going to go fishing, but let's go canoeing instead. That's the way the series will end. We're all going to go on a canoe trip. (laughs) And then Gideon appears... On the shore, and she doesn't even see him, and he sends a wave of water over the canoe and turns the whole river to ice. And she's dead. The end. And speaking of dead things, uh, <laughs> when David is at the dock, you see the last vision then of his father. And when David throws the, the coin into the river. Without a second the, the look, water, I might add. Yeah. Um, that's when his father poofs away. And it kind of makes it seem like his father is communicating from the underworld as if his father's unfinished business was getting David to know the truth about what happened. You would think it would make him want to keep the coin. Yeah. Because now it's a good memory. I thought of that too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like now to realize, okay, everything I thought I knew about how my father died was wrong. Now I know he died a hero. He was wearing this. While trying to be a hero to the family, I'm going to wear this to continue being a hero to my family 
but nope, I'm going to throw it in the river right there next to the priceless jewel next to the Titanic. In his defense, <laughs> he is a little worried about which way his luck is going, and clearly it's not a lucky coin. Yeah, that's true. Let's be well, honest. That's true. Fair point. It was around when his brother was separated from their family, and it was around when his father died. I, I liked the dialogue between Hook and David and the the awkward, <laughs> long, painful, torturous silence of David. You know, every father, I think, has to in some way scare off his potential son-in-law. <laughs> it's a my, my dad was my, my dad was rather specific when I was in high school. He was going to shoot anybody who got within arm's length of me with a, a small caliber, high-powered rifle. Because oh, nice. he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to kill him. He just wanted to maim him. Oh, that's. And merciful. so when I was in, when I was in my first show in high school, I had to kiss the the other guy in the show, and I didn't know my dad was in the audience that night, <laughs> and I was back shedding my costume change, and everybody knew this this story. I was back changing out of my costume and I heard this commotion. My dad had shown up in a fedora and a trench coat and walked up to this guy, Rick, and said, you Rick Maxey? And he said, uh, yeah. And he said, I thought so. And he pulled a, a stick'em dart gun oh. out of his pocket. <laughs> oh, my went, gosh. And shot him in the kneecaps. And I said, ah! Oh, Mr. Your Hutchinson. dad is awesome. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, it was good. We had good times. I knew a guy who, th- I know this is total tangent, <laughs> but we're making the podcast more entertaining for you. I knew a guy, a <laughs> uh, black belt, who um, when uh, someone wanted to date his daughter, he would bring them over to the house for a dinner and... It, he would have all of these weapons on display just all of the time. Katanas, <laughs> swords, knives, weapons, all of this stuff. This guy, black belt, multi-degree black belt. Um, oh, he he gave me a black eye, actually. Not because I was interested mm. in his daughters at all, but uh, because Aww. it was part of my test. Um, but uh, no, he gave me a concussion, not a black eye. Anyway, <laughs> wow. what this guy would do is he would get a coconut and it takes something like 1200 pounds of pressure to break open a coconut and he would set a coconut in front of a guy that's interested in his daughter he would break the coconut with his bare hands like swinging it down this nice powerful move that i've done before uh, but not as powerfully as this guy did like he cracked the coconut completely in half i've only just like chipped open a coconut before Um, but he would do that you know, 1,200 pounds of pressure with his bare hand breaking open this coconut. And then he'd, you know, say, if you ever hurt my daughter, I'm coming after you. And and it worked to keep everyone scared away. Because whoever can survive that kind of mental torture is good enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That's right. That's Maybe. why or fathers crazy. do that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But fun. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> So anyway, uh, Hook is being honorable, and I don't really like that they're calling some of his honorable things old-fashioned. They've done that before in the series. It kind of feels like they're saying, oh, that's cute that you're doing that old-fashioned thing that people don't do anymore, but that's kind of cute of you to do that. I kind of feel like, "Uh, can't you guys just like praise it for being honorable or say something like, hey, thanks, or wow, that's very honorable of you, or... Something like that. I, mean, I know yeah. I come from a very traditional uh, worldview, so that's why I feel that way. Um, but still cool to see him doing things so honorably. 
And yet still, as David pointed out, well, it's up to Emma, of course, but yes, you have my blessing. <laughs> yeah. I thought that that was a good safety position for them to fall back on. But I, I think the, uh, the asking permission is, is sweet and not something that happens very much anymore. But I, I just liked the fact that, that David's response wasn't, I mean, it took a long time, but it wasn't at all, are you sure? Or there was no, uh, aside from comic effect, there was no other real hesitation there. And I, I was glad to see Hook have a ring. That was nice yeah. and the right thing to do. I like what Ash23 said in the chat room. Old fashion should always be in fashion. Hashtag chivalry. Nicely put, Ash. Yes. And yes. what you see Hook doing now is a lot more chivalrous. Where I mean, compare this to when yeah. we first met Hook. I remember <laughs> feedback we would get from people saying, why do you guys hate Hook so much? And a lot of that was coming from Jeremy. I, and <laughs> certainly there were plenty of things where Hook, Hook was a slime ball early on. He was a creep. He was uh, really weird in a lot of ways. Uh, to, but to see now how chivalrous he is. Next thing yes. he'll be doing is wearing a fedora and shaving with a, a safety razor. You know, just going all <laughs> artofmanliness.com on everybody. <laughs> what? Oh my goodness, that was me. That was that was amazing. I don't know what... The, I don't, that was like references wrapped inside references. Oh yeah, this whole episode has had all kinds of cultural references. You haven't got, even gotten all of them, Jeremy, but I've heard... I know a lot of them are like you, you culture. <laughs> <laughs> at least in that one. I love it. <laughs> Back at the Charming's loft, Snow and Regina are talking there uh, while David is getting some well-deserved rest. And it kind of makes me wonder, has he told Snow? I mean, yes, he said he's not going to tell Snow about Hook's asking. Uh, but has he told Snow anything about everything that just transpired? Or is he waiting that for when they can actually talk face to face? But nonetheless, uh, Snow and Regina are having the great conversation. And... I feel like this episode is so much emphasizing that this is not the real Robin that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Which is an about face from last week. Yeah. Well, last week it was kind of the hint that this isn't really Robin, but maybe there's a little bit of him in there. Mm-hmm. This felt very emphasized. So much that I'm wondering, maybe they're going to stick with it in this way. I don't know what they're doing. Well, perhaps the question we should be asking is, why did they bring Robin through the portal? The writers, why did they bring Robin through knowing, perhaps knowing, this is not the real Robin. It will never be the real Robin if they keep it that way. I just, I did not like the sudden twist. Complete with music. Hmm. Regina goes from, like in almost the same sentence, she kind of admits maybe... She says, yeah, I'm worried too. Like, who is he? And what does he want? Why does he necessarily want something? It was their idea for him to come back. Like, mm-hmm. why? It's not a logical leap to be like, what does he want? Well, he's done nothing that they've seen to indicate that he wants anything. Yeah, that does sound like a menacing question or question implying menacing, menace. Uh, but then again, it, it can also be a regular question. Just what does he want? 
What's he want in life? If he's here, he's <laughs> in Storybook. I know it, it does lead to and a lot more ministry. Then menis- I realized, you know how many times Emma has brought someone back from somewhere that she probably shouldn't have. <laughs> like, look how good point. And, and really relating to these two, so she brings Marion back, and it turns out to be Zelina. Yeah, she brings Hook back, and you know that's fine with well, a lot of people. She helped bring back. Someone else connected to Robin, the guy who killed Robin. She basically equipped Zelina and everyone else to be able to bring back Hades. Right. But it's almost like she she messed stuff up with Robin the first time by bringing back Zelina. And now she's trying to help and her help is hurting again, potentially. <laughs> she encouraged Regina to bring him. Mm-hmm. And so that's a thing that Emma does, apparently. <laughs> she can put it on her resume. <laughs> and here's another thing I can do. I bring people Plus back. Plus I ride horses. Here. <laughs> we received some great feedback on Robin's... What on Robin? What what <laughs> might be going on with Robin? Gareth said, Last week I speculated that the writers might be giving us a wolf in sheep's clothing with Robin. This appears to be the direction they are going. Robin, not the one we know, is interested in revenge and now dabbling in dark magic. I don't think the new Robin will be turning into the old one. The kiss did not restore his memories. In fairness, it was not true love's kiss because this Robin does not love Regina. Perhaps if he falls in love with Regina, a future kiss will restore his memories, but I don't think so. I think Robin will have to go back to his world. He may even be trying to find his own way back. Perhaps he does not realize how difficult it is to travel between worlds because they found two ways out of the wish world in one day. Revenge seems like... (laughs) Yes, they did. Oh, yes. (laughs) Revenge seems like the most likely use for the stolen magic, but he might also be trying to do something for himself. This Robin steals from the rich to make himself rich. He might want what the other Robin had, or he might just want tangible riches. Thank you, Gareth, for that feedback. He steals from the magical to make himself magical. John Gregory, a new listener to our podcast, sent his first piece of feedback, and he said, I love your show so much, I wish I found this sooner, because I feel alone watching Once Upon a Time. I love the storylines and how complex and intertwined they can be, like Lost was. And then John Gregory shares his theory here. Do we know what the item is that Regina says is very dangerous and dark? Could he, that is Robin, be after his daughter, maybe, and we see a war between Zelina and Wish Robin? My theory is that something will happen that will cause Wish Robin to disappear and be forced to go back to the Wish realm, if it exists. Do you think that somehow the Evil Queen will be broken from her curse of being a snake by Wish Robin doing some dark magic, and they both live happily ever after in the Wish Realm, if it exists? Now, there would be a good couple. Really? Evil Queen Regina with evilish Robin. Is that what she deserves? Yeah, good point. Ugh, that's a funny theory, but I hope not. Jessica Frey said, I want to share a theory from my friend Sean about Robin. Thanks, Sean, for sharing this theory. Sean, hope you're listening to the podcast. Jessica, tell Sean to listen to the podcast, (laughs) oncepodcast.com. Now Sean's like, whoa, this guy's talking to me. He's super creepy. Uh, So Sean's theory is, what if Robin is Rumpel from the Wish Realm 
under a glamour spell. That's one of those theories that it makes me think, ooh. Well, now that would be a funny couple. The yeah. wish rumple and the sort of fake evil queen. Yeah. But she's a snake right now. Well, but that can be undone. I mean, he can kiss a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I know someone who did it with a frog once. Exactly. So why not? The thing I think about after I read this theory and thought initially, yeah, that sounds really good. Then rewatching the episode, uh, he appeared I realized right Rumple left. Yeah, there's that, and he didn't look correct. Okay. But mm-hmm. what's he doing in Storybrooke? He's doing very bad Robin Hood kind of things, like going after the sheriff oh. of Nottingham. Yeah. Why would mm-hmm. Rumpel want to do that? That's true. Except unless he was trying to hide in plain sight as, you know, be be the best bad Robin he could be so that nobody would think he was who he actually was. Yeah. Although that's a lot of twisting. Yeah, I think it might be a little too much twisting, but still very uh-huh. interesting creative theory. Meredith from Everett, Washington said, I like this episode a lot. There's definitely an improvement in the quality, and I'm not at all surprised that Jane Espenson wrote it. First, let's talk about Robin. We've seen Robin steal magic before, of course, for Rumpel and from Rumpel, but I don't think he was stealing for himself this time. You remember how 317, the Jolly Roger, seemed to have nothing to do with Zelina, and suddenly she was Ariel? I think Robin is working for Gideon. I think that Gideon saw that Robin had access to Regina's vault. She's probably got up numerous force fields to keep him out. So what if Gideon has Robin's heart and is controlling him with it? He might not even remember since most victims are told to forget. I'm not saying that is the case, but it could be. Next week, we'll probably have an answer to that question. Hmm. Interesting theory, too. Thank you, uh, Jessica and Meredith and John Gregory and Gareth and others for your great feedback. Because we did have a reminder of heart-taking. Now, I would say if it turned out that he was really Rumpel, they would have to have a town decree that says, if you ever find yourself in another realm and you see either Robin Hood or Marion, do not bring them back. They aren't who they appear to be. Yep. (laughs) They need it posted. In this last scene from this episode of Once Upon a Time, we get a new Once Upon a Time snack. Microwave popcorn with melted milk duds. That so, sounds delicious. Emma does two so things. Wrong. She brings people back that shouldn't be there, and she makes weird food. I think it sounds right? wonderful. Do you? Really? Yeah. But popcorn chews so easily, and milk duds chew so not easily. Melted. It's melted. Melted chocolate off the milk duds, which makes them just gross. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think if the milk duds were melted enough, then it would be like chocolate caramel popcorn. And what's not to love about that? You'd have to put the milk duds in while you're cooking the popcorn. Okay. I think we need to try this at our a upcoming few different ways. At our upcoming <laughs> Once Upon a Time season finale party in Cincinnati. And I think we have the location for it. Uh, we will maybe try this. So someone could try making milk duds duds on popcorn and see how it turns out or just try it yourself and then tell us but i'd much rather taste it and believe it that way <laughs> taste we just it have to know it. how salted how salted is the popcorn and how buttered is the popcorn mm, true these are important questions that need to be determined before enormous messes are made it is true 
about the conflict, not the conflict of uh, popcorn and milk duds, but the conflict <laughs> of Hook being the one who killed Emma's grandfather. DeAndre said, I personally feel that this twist toward the end with Killian being Robert's killer was ill-conceived, contrived, and a little forced to execute <laughs> unnecessary conflict and irony between Killian and David. That will most likely be resolved later in the season and not give the proper character development this relationship and the family may need going forward. I kind of agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. this is a great twist to the story. A uh, twist of a sword mm-hmm. in everybody's oh. backs or chests or something. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. I don't I I I, I don't feel good about it. I, I know Robert doesn't feel good about it either. He got a sword through his start. <laughs> Bummer. I think that ultimately they will work things through because that's just what they do. They're the charming. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Right. They're the charming. But the <laughs> conflict will be interesting nonetheless. But like if he tells him too soon, then that's why David will keep Snow asleep tomorrow because he's got to go kill Hook. <laughs> I think charming is beyond wanting to kill people for oh, revenge okay, now. Nice. He's probably learned his lesson and he's learned to forgive. Let's hope so. Yeah, because it's either that or he's learned to f- to let go of wanting to kill the guy who killed his dad, but everybody else is still in bounds. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of letting go, we're going to let this episode go and conclude our conversation here. If you would like to continue the conversation, please go to oncepodcast.com slash 282 and you can comment on the show notes, share this episode out with your friends, family, anyone else watching Once Upon a Time or who should be watching Once Upon a Time. You can also continue the conversation in our forums on the website at oncepodcast.com as well. Remember that we have our Beauty and the Beast review coming up. We'll be doing that live on Friday, March 17th, about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time at oncepodcast.com slash live. But if you miss it when we're doing it live, you can still catch the download, which the first portion of it will be spoiler-free if you're subscribed to the podcast. And I hope that you are, so you receive every episode automatically. And show someone else how to subscribe to the podcast as well. It's the best way that you can help the podcast grow. And I just realized, Daniel, I did Beauty and the Beast back in 2007, the original French version on Craftlet. Episode 25. So if anybody wants to get the skinny on the original, there it be. I've heard that the original ends very differently from the Disney movie, as all of the classic fairy tales do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't, you know, she doesn't turn into seafoam, mind you, but it's different. (laughs) (laughs) So watch for our upcoming review that will be published shortly after uh, Friday, March 17th. We'll get it out before the next initial reactions episode of Once Upon a Time. So you can hear that. Decide if you want to go see Beauty and the Beast and hear our thoughts on it as well. It is a fun movie. I would recommend that you go see it, uh, but we'll talk about it more later in that review. In the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as Mama O. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and my fellow co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting the podcast with me. 
It's a lot of fun to work with each other, and I really appreciate it. So until next time, remember, with a little bit of hope, nothing can tear this family apart. <laughs> and you thought you made it through an episode without it. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be a hero to the podcast too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and contribute what you feel the podcast is worth, whether that's a dollar a month or more. It's up to you. That's all at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for One's Podcast, episode 613, <laughs> Ill-Boating Patterns. When Gideon resumes his mission to kill Emma and become the savior, Mr. Gold steps in to ensure that the use of dark magic does not poison his son. Meanwhile, Robin proves willing to ally himself with anyone offering the possibility of escape from Regina and Storybrooke. Hook gathers the courage to come clean to Emma, but not before she discovers he's been keeping a secret. And in a flashback to fairytale land, the legendary folk hero Beowulf sets his sights on Rumpelstiltskin after the Dark One uses his powers to defeat the ogres and win the war for humanity. This one's written by Andrew Chambliss and Dana Horgan and is directed by Ron Underwood. Yeah, so a lot going on. And we were right that Beowulf would be making an appearance. Yes. Yeah, we got that from the title of the episode because it's a line from the actual um, epic story. Oh, is it? I yeah. didn't know that. Would you like to read the guest stars? All right, we do have quite a few guest stars this week. Sean McGuire is back as Robin, of course. Keegan Connor Tracy is back as the Blue Fairy, who we haven't seen in a while. Right. Raphael Sabarge is back as Jiminy Cricket, or. Dr. Archie Hopper, as we usually see him in Storybrooke. Giles Mathie is back as Gideon. Brandon Spink as Young Balefire, and this is a new Young Balefire. Torsten Bjorklund as Beowulf. Samuel Patrick Chu as the Frightened Soldier. Chris Lou Bardace as another soldier. And Angela Moore as a villager. Yay! Sorry, I had to have you do that. <laughs> so, yes, this is a new Balefire, but uh, when we talk about the photos, because there are quite a few of him, he looks a lot like Dylan Schmidt, who, of course, played Balefire for quite a while in all the flashbacks. They look a lot alike, so good job, casting department. Casting did really good. I mean, they did. with the young Snow and young Emma, like, yeah. they've done really well. Yes, agreed. Okay, so we did get a promo we got at the end of the last episode. And they seem to be getting shorter and shorter, but cramming a lot more stuff into them. <laughs> yes. So this one, it starts with Rumpel talking to Gideon about giving into darkness. And Gideon says that he has to defeat her to cut. And then it quick cuts to Emma holding a sword. So it looks like there's another fight scene. Oh, maybe. Or predicting another fight scene. Yeah, maybe they're just flashing to the one that we already saw uh, in the spring premiere. Right. 
So then we get to see Beowulf for the first time, and he's talking about how dark magic comes with a price. Well, duh, we already knew that. <laughs> and Robin has the small chest with him, and looks like lots of little vials in it. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know what he stole, but I think that it's uh, a little funny, let's say, that he's only <laughs> been in Storybrooke for one episode and part of the synopsis is that he will literally ally himself with anybody to escape Regina. I'm <laughs> just I know. Dude, I you've been around like for her. one. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, that escalated quickly. Yeah. So we get to see a lot of the ogre wars. Yeah, and you know, these have been talked about so much ever since season one about how Rumple walked into the battlefield and brought all the children home from the Ogre Wars, but we've never seen it. No. So I'm I'm hoping that we get part of that. Yes. But we get to see a little bit from the promo, and then we see Hook has a heart to heart with Archie. Yeah, about the fact that he's keeping this secret from Emma that he killed Charming's father. Yes. Which didn't I allude to last time before we knew that it was actually true? Yeah, you know, we had speculated about it, but we had all kind of said, eh, they're not going to go that route. Of course they went that route. And then they went that route. (laughs) (laughs) But then we get a lot more of the Ogre Wars. I think they showed a lot of it for the preview. Yeah. I wonder how big of the Ogre Wars are going to be a part of this episode. Like, did we just see everything? (laughs) (laughs) I hope we get to see a good portion of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally it ends with Gideon talking to Gold and demanding that his father help him to fulfill his destiny. So we also got quite a few photos. I'm not going to call this a photo set. Uh, There's a lot of photos. <laughs> there are there a are. ton of photos. But it's I all think, of the woods. Yeah, I think more than half of them are literally just trees. Yeah, like, oh, look at this. Oh, look, the sun's shining through here. Oh, look, this is pretty. Yeah, like I know Vancouver is really pretty. And the... The photos themselves are really beautifully shot, but they're literally just photos of trees. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. So they tell us nothing. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Unless maybe the whole episode takes place in the woods, and that's what we get. Sure, but I mean, at least stick Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> in amongst the trees or something. <laughs> yeah. So we did get some of some of the people in costume. Yep, we do see Beowulf um, in the woods with his sword. He's all decked out in fur. Looks a mm-hmm. little, I would call it Hollywood Viking-esque. Yeah, because it's like fur and leather. Yeah. Like when I think cliche Vikings, I I, I think of what Beowulf is wearing here. <laughs> so then we see Rumpel with this kid. Is that Belfire? Yep, that's young Belfire. Okay. I didn't really get to look at, like I know who's playing everyone, but I didn't look them all up, so I didn't know ages of anyone. Yeah, so he's he looks like he's... Of course, about the same age that Dylan Schmidt was when we first started seeing Dylan before he falls through the portal. He's he's roughly that age. Okay. But one of the things that looks strange to me is that Rumpel had his dagger and he looks like he, he's about to hand it over to his son. Yeah. That, that kind of looks strange to me. Yeah. So I'm thinking whatever Rumpel does... In the Ogre's War, you know, Balefire had a huge problem with his father using dark magic. So I think that there's probably some trouble at home. Probably. I mean, your father's Rumpel, so there has to be. (laughs) And then Robin's sleeping in the woods. Right. (laughs) He's got a tent all set up in the woods. 
You so know. I guess he really doesn't want to be with Regina. He really doesn't want to be with Regina. But I do think this lends some credence to the theory that I've said that um, he and the evil queen are going to end up together because this version of Robin seems much more like he would be suited to the evil queen instead of Regina. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Because he doesn't yeah. really want to be good. No. And Regina's trying her hardest. Yeah. So no script tease again. I'm sorry, guys. No, no script teases. Unless it comes out after a record, which is quite possible. But we did hear an interview. Yes, with Colin O'Donoghue, who plays Hook. Mm-hmm. He did say that Hook is a changed man. Obviously, he's flawed and he's done some really heinous things that he's not proud of. But he's definitely trying to be the best version of himself that he can be for Emma because he really wants to change for her, make it work, try and be the hero and try to redeem himself in whatever way he can. This coming back up is a thing that really, I think, affects him and affects how he sees the ability to proceed with their relationship. Pretty much what we all think. Yeah. But, I mean... We also know that they're engaged before long, and we do strongly, strongly, strongly suspect to the point of almost having it confirmed that the wedding is going to be episode 20, which is also the musical episode. So it works out. (laughs) It does work out. And we did get some casting news. Yes. Yes. Fun casting news, I think. I don't know. Confusing casting news, maybe. So the first one is Allison Fernandez. She's been cast as a mysterious role in the season finale. Her role is a potential for more episodes if the show should get renewed. And you'll all know her as the younger version of Jane in Jane the Virgin. And I think she was in Harry Potter, too. Oh, interesting. She was dressed up in what looked like Gryffindor robes. So this is the casting we had for the 10-year-old girl who... Reads a little bit like young Henry back in season one. Um, and of course, we know that Andrew J. West will play, will play a grown up in the season finale with a potential to go to season seven if the show is picked up. And the current theory right now is that Andrew J. West will be playing an adult Henry. And I think that this little girl will be his adopted daughter, not his biological daughter. Um, and not the biological daughter of Captain Swan, which was the other theory, because she is Latina. Right. So I think that Henry probably adopted her, maybe after Violet died or something. Oh, maybe. I mean, if died? he's... Well, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, right now, Henry's 13. <laughs> Unless he has a kid with Violet. Well, yeah, She's but- got the dark hair. She's got the look. Well, mm, yeah, mm. she's very clearly not Latina, though, and this this girl is. <laughs> and, I mean, they, they do some strange things with race on the show, but let's not stretch it. <laughs> but, yeah, so for those of you that don't know who Andrew J. West is, he played Gareth on The Walking Dead. Yes. For, like, and he, that was his biggest, like, he's been in lots and lots of things, so you've probably seen him in something else, but he's played Gareth the most times than any other character he was also in adam and eddie's other show dead of summer which aired on freeform last year oh i did see that but i didn't know that show at all so (laughs) okay do you want to read the last one 
All right. The last one is that Karen David, who plays Princess Jasmine, has confirmed that she will be returning to film on the show. It's either episode 21 or 22. I suspect episode 21 instead of 22. Um, and no word if Aladdin, played by Dennis Ockdennis, will be returning with her. Okay. Lots of news coming up. So, question. Are we getting to season seven? Well, nobody really knows. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of hubbub out there right now about who is returning and who is not. And Deadline did break a story that Jennifer Morrison, Lana Perea, Robert Carlyle, and Colin O'Donohue are in talks and negotiations with their contract for a season seven, should there be one. Now, this doesn't mean that those actors will, in fact, sign on. And it also doesn't mean that there will be a season seven. It all depends on what kind of demands the actors want and what ABC is willing and is not willing to do. I think every single day there is a new rumor that comes out about who's leaving. <laughs> um, the ones that I keep hearing for sure, um, and by, sure, by for sure, I'm putting that in air quotes because I honestly don't know, but it does sound like it's more likely that Jenny and Josh and Jared will be leaving Okay. Jennifer Morrison and Robert Carlyle, I, every single day, their status changes. One day I hear that, you know, Jennifer Morrison wants to be a producer on the show and that's why she's holding out with her, her contract. And then the next day I hear that, well, she's just gone for good. I don't know. I really don't. I know ABC is expected to make a decision soon because they have to. They have to, yeah. Channing Dungray, who is the head of ABC, said in January that they're looking to reboot the fantasy series. Regardless of what we decide to do at the end of this season, I think Horowitz and Kitsis think that they would put a bit of a bow here. And then there is a next piece that comes after that. There will be a little bit of closure in this particular narrative. So right. things are changing. Which is why we... You know, some of us still think that Emma might actually die and that the story is going to shift from Emma's journey to Henry's journey, which is why they've cast Andrew J. West and Allison Fernandez potentially as adult Henry and his daughter to kind of continue the family journey, but without the original cast members. Okay. Well, I think that's all we have. It is. So... That's it for this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.